Hello, welcome back to How AI Built This. Today's show is brought to you by, you guessed it, the wonderful people at Cathcart Associates. Without them, this podcast wouldn't have got started, really. So massive thank you to them. Um, and if you are looking to be hired or you are looking to hire technology staff, please reach out to them. You might even get a discount if you quote How AI Built This. Probably not, though. So on the podcast today, we have Katie Guthrie. Um, she is the head of data at Scotland Is, um, or Scotland IS, if you're listening. Scotland's trade body for all things technology. She's also involved in the new AI strategy for Scotland, um, which we actually talked about on the show with Brian Hills a couple weeks ago. So good to get her thoughts on it as well. So um, yeah, ladies and gents, please welcome Katie Guthrie to the show. First of all, thanks for coming on the show, Katie. Really appreciate the time. Good to be here. We always start on education and I hope you don't mind me saying you've got quite a unique pairing of a, a degrees. Is, is that fair? You did a master's in economics and geography. I did, yes. Um, I didn't actually start out doing economics and geography when I went to university. I started out doing artificial intelligence and computer science. Um, But there were only four four women, um, or four girls really, um, in the computer science course and like over 100 men. So I think age 17, it was quite intimidating and I ended up switching. I kept on the artificial intelligence for a while, um, but then moved into maths and then ultimately into economics and geography which really enjoyed so it was it was a bit of a journey at uni. Nice yeah it's a bit of a I think a bit of a shame really isn't it that you had to end up changing because of something like that. Yeah and, and, the, and the irony is of course like I basically le- then left university and went straight into a job as a developer um, so <laughs> I, I did go back into the, the kind of the programming and the computer science elements and, and actually was probably really lucky in that the, the job I went into at the graduate intake it was actually more females than than uh, men so it kind of I think they were kind of redressing the balance a wee bit there and that was not intimidating. I always like to speak to people that have done anything at university towards artificial intelligence before the year 2017 i think people think that it's just like popped out of nowhere around 2015 16 maybe and then everyone's got like an msc in ai or data science or something like that which are all great and still very relevant but it's definitely not new right no i mean i think a lot of the stuff that i did way back in the 90s and artificial intelligence the theories haven't changed it's just that at that time, they were literally just theories, and, and or, or at least it was very difficult to get both the data and the kind of commute, compute power to be able to really do the things that, you know, really to execute them. And I guess it fell out of favour a little bit, and um, it wasn't really on offer at, at universities as a degree. Um, but the gist of it hasn't really changed um, in terms of the actual theories, so... Yeah. Yeah. I actually feel quite bad for the people that came up with a lot of the theories because they've just, they never had the computing power of today, which is now so easily accessible. But yeah, you mentioned going from uni, jumping straight into a software development role. So you mentioned it as a grad scheme with Prudential, right? Yeah, that's right. It was, yeah. And because you'd done some computing and AI at the start of the degree, and obviously with even with economics, and I'm sure some of your um, degree in general, did that part of kind of I don't know was software development something you could just see yourself doing or was it one of those where you do a grad scheme you do a few different things and you kind of stayed in that part yeah no it was specifically to do to be a programmer 
it was something I had enjoyed a lot at school. Um, I had just had been really lucky and had a really good um, computing teacher at school. And so that's why I wanted to do it at university. And then I still kind of was interested in it when I, by the time I, I graduated, so decided. And of course, back in the 90s, you know, in the lead up to the Y2K <laughs> bug, um, <laughs> the, the, there were a lot of jobs going in that, that kind of area as well. So because I was interested in it, I thought, well, let's go and do that. What was the kind of predominant programming language when you started with Prudential? Oh, do you know, I moved around. I, I did a lot of different things. I did um, I did a very small amount of COBOL 74, which uh, is a programming language that predates me. Um, <laughs> I, did, I, did, I did Visual Basic. I did some proprietary languages that probably don't exist anymore. I did Java, lots of uh, SQL, um, so various different languages. Algol, um, which is another old one. So. That must have been great, though, having so much exposure to different languages. I, you'd sometimes see people that kind of start in a in a bank or in a public sector kind of place where they end up working for a long, long time, and it's the same technology all the time. So it's great that you managed to kind of touch a load of different things. Yeah, I, I guess I'm, I did move about a fair bit and then laterally kind of moved into more the sort of design phase. I did a, a, a few secondments. I did secondments into kind of marketing, which was looking at kind of customer segmentation and all that sort of stuff. And then secondments into what was our, our kind of emerging data architecture department. And then that resulted me in me kind of working in uh, back in the, back in the in the noughties, what was a forming business intelligence area and kind of taking on the sort of design, the, the design work for most of the projects coming through that. So that that was that was really interesting, and I, to be honest, at that point, I kind of moved away a lot from the the coding element and um, was much more focused on the the design. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I was going to say that you moved into kind of what was what they've called kind of a senior designer, yeah. um, which focuses on BI and data. But if if it's not on the kind of coding side, what does the kind of design aspect look like? Well, I guess you know a lot of what we were doing d- data science is a newer term anyway, but it was it it wasn't the data science as was it it was more around about the data engineering. So it's about basically understanding all the different possible data sources for the the business problems you've got, and then bringing those together. And you know, there's not always a common key, so it's designing it's designing data that that kind of can be used to meet the the. The, the needs more easily, I guess, and, and do the uh, allow the reporting and, and analytics that's required to, to be run on it when it's coming from all sorts of disparate sources. And these days, you've got a, a lot more tooling that will do that kind of on the fly for you. But again, if you want, if you want to use lots of different types of tools, then then, then still, you know, there's still a lot of data engineering that, that's needed, and it, it does sometimes <laughs> frustrate me that there's. So much emphasis on data science and AI, and actually there there is a huge job in and still in kind of dealing with all the kind of data management, bringing data together, integrating it, cleansing it, getting it ready, you know, understanding it in terms of making sure there's not gaps. That that, that is still a huge part of of the work, but it just doesn't get the same level of. Uh, prestige or 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 it's just not seen as much because it's the, the, it's the just like it's, it's the stuff but yeah it's like the it's not making the news of these uh-huh. like, amazing data engineers um although i have to say that data engineering seems to be over the last few years anyway one of those things that companies realized they'd really maybe missed a trick on so they maybe hired like two or three data scientists and then when they were asking those people to do like 
all of the work, so doing all the machine learning models, doing all the kind of data cleansing, finding it all, like engineering it all, like you said, behind the scenes, they realized that they actually needed more than one or two people. They needed someone else. So like the last couple of years, those skills have arguably been harder to find for companies than yeah. what you would call like a data scientist. Like data engineers, are, I think, are getting that kind of, not respect, that's not the right word, but like companies are realizing how important they are in the overall kind of data landscape. Yeah, and and, and I think um, they are because, like, as a, if you're a data scientist, you're never going to get away from the fact that you you need to do some of that plumbing and and plugging together because you'll be responding to to new needs and and you'll be looking looking to do that. But your job is, you can if you're a data scientist, you can spend a lot more time doing what you should be doing if the data engineers have have um, done a lot of that kind of work of getting it ready for you. So I, I think it is still very much a. I mean, I guess I would say that because it's more of my um, background, but but it's um, it's still a very important job, and you have to walk before you can run, right? So yeah, no, exactly. So you mentioned you did a couple of comments, and I don't know, you ended up kind of working um, as part of TCS, right? But um, yes. it was kind of most of your career up until where you are now has been financial services. So um, do you think that working in financial services within data is kind of like it's a pretty good place to start right because there's just so much of it yeah people whinge that not whinge but people say that they join companies with no data but you're never going to have that financial services no and i think um sort of the actuarial departments and um financial services companies which you know i've worked i worked quite quite a bit with actually actuarial finance areas and they've you know they are kind of original data scientists as well um because that they are they're doing a lot of complex analysis that needs a lot of data and you, you know you're setting assumptions or you're bringing together data sets to to kind of create representative um inputs so yes there's a lot of data and there's a lot of a lot of the kind of problems that you you get with data are are in evidence there because they've, they've there's a long legacy of different systems and 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 a lot to bring together i guess it's not the same kind of volumes that you'll get if you're looking at you know some like sensor data or or mobile phone data there's, there's a lot more there but it's probably representative of the steps you go through and the problems that you encounter yes um i would say financial services is a good grounding for that and i think as well the the regulatory requirements that you've got on on data within financial services well not just much on data but on the industry because you need a lot of data to evidence all, all the kind of or to bring together and support all the um regulatory requirements reporting requirements that financial services companies have yeah and i suppose like when you're working in financial services and people maybe take it for granted when like you hear that projects can take ages or there's a lot of like governance so there's a lot of red tape but i suppose there kind of needs to be right because you're dealing with like huge amounts of actual money as opposed to a startup that maybe are just trying to build a product that isn't nobody's using yet. So you can get to do what you want, really. But when you're in a bank or um, and like that cheerio scientist you mentioned, like you can't you can't really mess about if you know what I mean. Indeed, yeah, because as well, like working in a an older financial established financial services company that they had so many different systems that had evolved through the years, going back to you know days when data was just recorded on 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 someone's notebook you know and it's been kind of plugged into kind of 50 year old systems and and you've got barely anything um recorded about people because it just some of it was uh recorded in days when just data wasn't a thing you know it was just so you've got like this it's a 
wee Mary's policy from from <laughs> whatever <laughs> kind of area of a city it is, you know, and, and and you've got very little data recorded. So so some of the older systems are quite interesting in terms of how they how they stored data. I mean, that's a bit of a whistle stop tour through your kind of FS career, but it pretty much takes us up till now, or certainly pretty much a year ago. Before I say where you're working, I found out yesterday, the day before, that you, you've changed how you say it, right? The company. <laughs> so we are Scotland Is. So um, apparently we always were Scotland Is. No, I disagree. Of... <laughs> so uh, people do get confused between whether it's Scotland IS or Scotland Is, but I think it's Scotland Is and it kind of goes with Scotland Is Innovative, Scotland Is Resilient. So it's, it's used like that. And I think, to be honest, IS, it, it, it was a bit kind of potentially contentious, I guess. I always thought you were going to go down the route of it. information systems doesn't really mean much in, in reality to what like all of Scotland is do, um, rather than it being a terrorist organisation. But yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's also, I guess, information systems. It, you, you could argue it's that, but I think it's it's just, it is. Um, so I'm going to have to get my head around this and, and try and not call it Scotland S for the whole podcast, but... Uh, I've definitely been to Scotsoft where someone from Scotland is has said, like, I'm from Scotland, I guess. So it's, it's so confusing. Yeah, I think it's something that certainly it was used either way before. And yeah. Jane, who joined as our CEO and just after me, actually, late last year, is very clear as Scotland is. That's nice. Who's, okay. Who's actually, yet. I asked my boss yesterday because um, we've been members for, oh, I mean, I don't know, longer than I've been at the company. Um, and he knows a few of the kind of senior team quite well. And I said to him, like, that's a few people that have said to me now that this is how you say it. And he was like, oh, no, it is. And I was like, oh, we could have told me. But yeah, so you joined them uh, June last year. Yes. Uh, so for anyone that doesn't know who Scotlanders are, do you want to give us a quick rundown of that? And then I suppose on top of that, like, what made you decide to, to make a jump from a, a kind of pretty senior and strong career in FS to then doing what you're doing now? Yeah, so um, in terms of who Scotland is, are, we are the Trade Association for the Digital Technology Sector in Scotland. And we have members from startups through to kind of multinational companies. Most of them are focusing on digital technology business. We have a few members who are not digital technology companies, but who see the value in the membership because they are you know, they're so heavily reliant on digital technology and they want to be kind of linked into that community in, in Scotland. So as I say, it's, it's quite a wide range in terms of size of membership. What we do, we do a lot of um, kind of linking the industry across Scotland. We look to kind of provide support in terms of access to markets, internationalisation, events, skills. Um, we do a lot of work on skills. So kind of last year, the Scotland has moved towards becoming more of a cluster management organisation. And that was kind of when I was recruited. So we already work with Technology Scotland on the mobility as a service cluster, which is very much arranged around the purpose of, you know, a highly integrated transport system and efficient green transport system. So that was the kind of first foray into cluster management. But I was taken on and my colleague, Kira Mitchell, who um, leads the cyber cluster and the data cluster, obviously. The, the clusters are really aimed around about um, building the sectors. So it's for, for me, it's data companies in Scotland. So they're not necessarily Scottish, but with a strong Scottish presence. A lot of them are Scottish. 
And it's about just understanding what their challenges are. It's about kind of linking them together. It's about bringing them together around kind of common challenges. So skills is is one that comes up repeatedly. Um, so working to working with academia, working with the third sector, the private sector, and just trying to kind of come together around those challenges. Um, and yeah, so I was going to say, I forgot to mention you're just head of data, but you cleared that up quite nicely. The skills part, and I'm going to sound like a broken record on the on the show um, and anyone else that will listen, but I don't know if you agree that companies just seem to not know what good data people look like as opposed to there being a massive shortage because I mean, I've now worked in technology recruitment for I think eight years and there's always been a skill shortage like to try and find certain skills around technology there's not enough graduates there's a lot of companies and Scotland obviously does quite well in terms of attracting big businesses which makes it more competitive for everyone else but I still think on data there's still so much like untapped potential in so many different areas that I think the I think chucking the word skill shortage out when it comes to hiring like data scientists, analysts, engineers, just I don't know if it's true. Well, I think um, in terms of the, there are increasing number of kind of courses aimed at you know at both at, at universities and also like Code Clan developed their their data analysis course last year, which I think has been quite successful as well, um, yeah. which obviously offers a different kind of option, but the the and graduate apprenticeships as well. Um, quite a few of the universities now do kind of data-focused graduate apprenticeships. So I think there is that pipeline of people coming through. There are increasingly routes into data careers that are not coming necessarily from, you know, straight out of university. There are lots of in-work options. Um, yeah. So taking your existing workforce, perhaps who's jobs are shrinking or being made redundant and and retraining into data they'll bring a huge amount of business domain knowledge that that and if they've got the data skills that's another another route to get staff with the right skills and experience so there should be we should be looking at it as not not just kind of taking people out with just the data skills because the the business skills are really important as well yeah that's something i've been saying loads as well and like i've spoken to a few co clan grads who just asked for a bit of like advice and one of them was um I'm sure I told this story when Stephanie Boyle was on from Cochran, but she uh, she was a business analyst at the banks, um, earning really really good money, and she just really wanted to work in data. So like, yes, yeah, she's not bringing loads of commercial data experience, but she's bringing like business and like, project delivery experience that you just like you just yeah. don't get doing a PhD or a master's. Like you uh-huh. just you, it's not the same thing. And I think the other angle I was I always go at with the data thing is that there's like you said right at the start that the theory hasn't changed a huge amount. So people who are doing math, stats, physics, any number of degrees that are kind of involving lots of lots of data to make sense of things, like it's not it's not a huge jump into the commercial world of like data science, if you like, especially when a lot of these degrees, even in, and when Stephanie spoke to us, she was talking about how there's loads of programming in, in psychology, PhDs and masters, because there's so much data. So like there's, there's other routes yeah. and other people you can, you can kind of get into your company and you're bang on as well. If anyone has the domain knowledge, then that's arguably equally, or if not more important, if they're able to pick up the data skills as well. Yeah, I do hear sort of from companies, particularly the sort of larger ones, that that the senior data leader type skills are are difficult to get. So whilst you know perhaps recruiting into the more junior roles is still got its challenges, but 
you know, there are people coming through with those skills, but the, mm. the, the more senior um, roles, especially if you've got cloud experience as well, which you'll, I mean, I guess you'll, as a recruiter, you'll have come up against which ones are really difficult to recruit for. But, yeah. Um, um, I honestly, that, I think data engineering, like senior, yeah. um, senior, maybe not senior, but like three, four years experience up to senior data engineers in all of our locations. So like um, the north of England, all over Scotland, like those people are just so much harder to come by. And then I suppose it's similar as well. Like I think people at that kind of head of data science level, I think, is there's a slightly bigger pool just because people have been doing, like you said earlier, like the kind of actuarial scientists or the people building like huge credit risk models and banks, like they can kind of like, they've probably done similar things so they can segue into those roles. But I think getting the data scientists with like two, three years experience can be really tricky as well, depending on if the company that are looking for something very specific, so like if they really need like NLP experience or computer vision experience, like those are two that are always yeah, really yeah. tricky to find the right skills. But yeah, no, I mean, it's, it's certainly, it's getting better. And obviously a lot of people are looking for data scientists. So um, it's just trying to, I suppose it's, it's probably going to go the other way, like what it is with software development now that you, you want to try and get the right kind of people um, and know who the kind of good people are. It's probably going to be the next challenge. Um, but so you've been there, like we said, just over a year. So how's how's it been? If you include um, if you include COVID into that, uh, well, yeah. interesting year. You asked me about um, you know why I decided to make the mm. the leap from financial services as well. So I guess for for me personally, I think it was just it was the right time to make a change. Uh, we had moved from Prudential to TCS, and that also kind of was a bit of a you know it was changing anyway. So and I was really interested in what Scotland has offered in terms of some of the kind of key values that they have and what they're looking to do because it's um you know I've moved from what was much more of a, a sort of practitioner role into a much more facilitative role that's looking at kind of helping others to develop the businesses and to to kind of you know effectively I mean the, the aim is lofty and it's it's growing the sector as a as a whole and and then um, I think some of the, as I say, the values around about inclusivity, given my, my own experiences, getting more women's tech, um, it's, th- those are definitely uh, values that I hold dear as well. Um, data for good, you know, those are all kind of some of the kind of key values that I think we have at Scotland is. I liked, I liked that. That was quite appealing. So there were, there were a, a lot of, you know, you start looking at jobs, there, there's a number of different options um, and I picked you know, I, was, I was particularly keen on the, the Scotland as opportunity because it was something new as well. Um, it's challenging, <laughs> that's for sure, because oh, there are a number of challenges. It's setting up a, it was a new role and, and growing the, the data cluster that there are some elements of it can be quite a kind of complex landscape for businesses to navigate. Um, so, so helping, trying to understand all that and then trying to help others understand that and, and navigate through kind of to... to address some of their challenges to kind of find opportunities and effectively then to, to be able to grow and export um, that those are those are all kind of really appealing you know prospects to be able to, to help with no I bet one of the things I really like about Scotland is uh, Fun. <laughs> I'm so proud of myself so we work in different regions and countries um, and there doesn't seem to be like an equivalent so like, there's there's other I don't even know if you call it a trade body, but like there's other things like it, but nowhere near on the scale 
and given that some of the places we work in are significantly bigger than Scotland, pretty like I think it's pretty cool that there's so much going on and and that since I've been doing it anyway that the the team has kind of I don't know been at the forefront of it and always had like the members have always been involved. Obviously, you've got the board. Also, I've done I think every award ceremony ever and. I don't, my only one I really actually enjoy Scotsoft and it just seems like what I don't know what everyone's trying to do at Scotland is everyone's kind of aligned and, it, and it's and it works whereas I think a lot of the ones we go to it feels like they just kind of charge people money for a membership and then they chuck together some events sometimes which I think is maybe just part of it rather than the main goal right I suppose it's more that everyone seems like like what you said the reason that you're joining or joined is that kind of your goals aligned and, and it feels like every time there's an event on or there's a kind of like even in the marketing communications like everyone seems to be on that kind of same page which is good and I think one of the reasons it's been so successful so I think it's, it's not really a question as such as just uh, that it seems to be very well run. <laughs> well that's fantastic to hear. <laughs> um, yeah that is good to hear. We you know, we, we do we do a number of different events tackling different issues. You asked about kind of how the last year has been and with COVID in the middle. So obviously since um since March, uh, the the focus was then kind of we had to cancel a lot of things that we had planned and or postpone them anyway, um, and move into helping with business continuity because some companies were very busy and some companies it was really just about about keeping going and making sure that the information on things like funding options and, and you know, the, the guidance for from an HR perspective was all out there. So we did a lot on how to pivot businesses and lots of really um, inspiring examples of companies who have done that. I've been involved in quite a number of different things and different initiatives. One of them is the development of the AI strategy for Scotland, which um, Scottish Government and uh, Data Lab have um, been leading on, which is really interesting. I'm on a working group which has got the snappy title of um, Development of AI-Enabled Products and Services, which I suppose it, it is what it says on the tin. Um, and we've been looking at kind of what sort of interventions might be useful to help support the development of AI products and services um, the, the there are a number of different initiatives that I think that will ultimately recommend the work is still ongoing but I think one of the things that I that we've been trying to point out or I've been trying to point out is it's about getting to the people who don't currently engage at all so one of the things one of the challenges that that, that comes up when I, I talk to businesses as well is oh, we've got this great product, we've got these great offerings, but if only the market knew we existed, if only we could kind of... So, so access to market is a, is a difficult thing for, for companies to get anyway. And obviously, AI can provide a lot of benefit across lots of different sectors. It's not... There's all often a bit of a, a, a kind of misnomer, I think, about AI companies. And actually, it's more... Yes, there are AI companies, but it's more about kind of getting it embedded and... It's the the use because without data and without a problem to solve, you know, it isn't it isn't there. It doesn't exist really. It, it, it's it's the application that's the important thing. So some of the things we've been talking about in in that um, AI strategy around about how to kind of get out there to to get benefit, and of course there are other working groups because 
it comes so heavily laden with you know issues <laughs> as well yeah. because there are, there are lots of very understandable um, concerns and and ensuring public trust is a kind of big challenge. And there, there is a lot happening on that and will happen on that, I think, from a, a kind of regulatory perspective. You know, there's there's been the need for AI to be explainable. Um, ICO have issued guidance on that earlier this year. And I think there will be, there's, there's a lot of good ideas kind of coming through about the importance of maybe like risk rating AI applications or having a kite mark type thing to kind of mark something as, yeah, this meets all the required standards. I guess that still has to be fully defined and, and what that actually means and implemented. So it will take time, but I think those kind of things will be useful for trying to maintain public trust and in order yeah. to kind of um, really properly engage and, and get best use out of it. And that then you, you need, obviously, that public trust is essential as a, a, a kind of foundational element. Yeah. Did you see um, the paper on New Zealand the other day about Brian Hills on? And I think it was posted that morning that they've kind of got I think it's, it was a very long article to be fair, but I think it's around the trust on the use of AI. So for example, like if they're going to use AI or some sort of machine learning and the police, for example, in New Zealand, like they're going to be really upfront and make it very simple to understand like what it is they're actually doing, as opposed to kind of, I'm sure there's lots of examples of kind of things that maybe people don't really maybe they do know what's happening but they don't know that that's what you would call ai for example um yeah so it's just like it's really really spelling it out like this is what ai actually is and you've already it's already been there you just didn't know and it's not that big a deal for certain things and i'm sure there's lots of other examples where people have no idea what's going on but um like yeah i think you hit the nail on the head around that kind of explainability and and trust because most of the things that most of the things I'm sure that the Scottish government, for example, are, are keen to leverage probably aren't that big a deal. It's just getting everyone on side in terms of like the trust element. Yeah, I mean, I guess the the, the strategy I think is quite far reaching, and that it goes, you know, it's also partly about you know getting it out there across the private sector, the public sector. It covers basically the, the full yeah. range. But yeah, that I hadn't seen the, the specific piece that you're talking about, but. It, it sounds very much like that whole kind of concept that came out of the European white paper as well, which was around about um, risk rating different applications. And I guess, you know, you need to be quite specific about how you define how to determine, you know, whether it's a level one or a level five or, you know, I, I don't know how it, would, how it will actually work because I don't think that's really been developed yet as far as I'm aware. Yeah, no, I'm sure it'd be very tricky. One of the, when I went on my off the tangent rant about Scotland IS, I actually did have a question a bit more so a bit more pertinent to it. So I'll ask it now. One of the things that I think, especially now that we've worked in different places outside of Scotland, kind of people always mention how that that we seem to kind of punch above our weight a little bit when it comes to technology and obviously data now. Do you think that having things like Scotland is and the data lab and the AI strategy for Scotland, do you think the fact that we do have all these things, does, does that help us kind of stay ahead of the curve or even kind of keep up with some of the, the kind of, I don't know, so-called like tech powerhouses? I think, yeah, I think there's a lot that, that Scotland has puts us in a good position. Um, we, we're kind of, we're big enough, but we're not too big. We have like, the excellent universities, like world-renowned universities. We kind of have a long tradition and kind of image, like, you know, from, from a kind of how Scotland is seen kind of across the world. Um, I certainly, he, you hear that from 
speaking to people in the States and elsewhere, that, that Scotland is, has, has this kind of reputational image as being somewhere that is um, generating technology and technological advancements. I think what, what you often hear is that we're quite good at innovating and creating these new things, but not always quite so good at capitalising on them and I think, and, and commercialising on them. So that's maybe something we, we need to look at, but uh, the, the kind of engagement of the government as well, I guess that goes back to possibly the being big enough, but not, not too big, is that you, you can generally in Scotland, I think, get the right people round the table. Yeah. So I think that all those things help us be in a good position to, as you, what, what did you say, punch above our weight? Punch above our weight, yeah. Yeah, I remember when I was in New Zealand, somebody explained to me that they often are technologically ahead of people because the size of the country, both like in the physical sense of the, the landmass, but also the population, they can trial things quite easily. So I think they were the first people to trial like contactless payments because it was a it was a big enough, but also small enough uh, like population to try it out on yeah, okay. before they reached out. <laughs> so I'm sure Scot- Scotland's kind of in that similar boat. Um, and you're right, I, I mean... No, I was going to say, I think there's more that we can do though. You know, you, you look around and, you know, Estonia is always held up as a example of a country that, that absolutely nails it from a kind of technology perspective. So yeah. I guess, how do we improve? Do you know, because we, I, I think we, we do have lots to offer. We have lots of good things, but there, there, there are definitely ways in which, or, you know, we, we could be better at that. I think, to be honest, I think we're sometimes a bit fragmentary we have lots of good support mechanisms but how do you where do you start do you know sometimes i think that can be potentially confusing yeah not to 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 do us down i think we have a lot of a lot of good mechanisms to to provide support though um and to and as you say punch above our weight do you know what i think uh, the complete flip side of everything i've just said one of the things i think we're really bad at and i I don't know if you'd agree or not but we're, we're really bad at shouting about like the success so I remember when I first started our Manchester division I used to go down and say like oh yeah we're, we're Edinburgh technology recruiters um but we're setting up in Manchester and a lot of people were like oh like is technology big like in Edinburgh or in Scotland and I'd reply with like yeah we have like Skyscanner headquarters like mm-hmm. the first um the first European base of all of Amazon like yeah. technology like That's stuff like that, that one. yeah and like and, and nobody no, nobody knows us. That's not fair. And uh, maybe they would—they don't know because they didn't really go looking for it. But like, it's maybe not as obvious to people outside of the industry that I think that's the Scottish psyche, really right? Good. Yeah, that's just <laughs> being—that's just being Scottish, yeah. Or, or indeed, kind of, um, yeah, yeah. You nailed it, nailed it there. I think it's just the way we are. Yeah, I, I do think though that there, there is there are a lot of success stories that we possibly could make more of, and you know, Skyscanner gets held up a lot. Amazon Development Centre is one I always think it really impresses me that you know key bits of Amazon functionality that you everyone uses all the time are developed you know just along the road I find that quite impressive and and the UNICEF Data for Children's Collaborative is also another one where you kind of look at UNICEF globally headquartered in in the states they could have put that hub anywhere but they chose to put it in Scotland because it, we we have the we had the people here to to do it and the willingness I think to kind of as I say get everyone around the table and make it happen yeah no I think uh so if we were doing like a school report like doing quite well but maybe maybe shout a little bit more about ourselves but you know I think I agree uh and obviously 
the cluster management seems to make sense as well because, like you said at the start, you've got so many different members. So, like, it makes sense to have a focus on like cyber and data, for example, because they're so they're so important and so big. Um, I think that's that, that was kind of a good way to go. And I suppose just lastly to finish off, where's the best place to kind of keep up with? everything that Scotland is and, and the AI strategy for Scotland. Um, I suppose both in terms of like news, but maybe also like all the events. I know you've had to, mm-hmm. to change a lot of them, but they are still happening. Yeah, so we're, we're doing kind of, having a bit of a focus on, on Brexit again, um, with looking at the impact of Brexit on cross-border data flows. Doing a session on innovation funding for the data cluster companies. We have... Our Scotsoft our, our annual conference is coming up and it will be a bit different this year. We're calling it um, Commander this year. Yeah, it's, I saw that, yeah. Scotsoft equivalent. Still working through all that. Obviously, we've had to reschedule a number of events and actually we have one on financial services, which is around about industry insight and that, that that's kind of cross insight. So we'll have big financial services companies talking about their challenges and then a sort of showcase from data companies so it's 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 about kind of addressing some of those kind of access to market type cha- um, challenges that we we're talking about before but also nice. hopefully giving companies the like data companies the ability to sort of understand well these are the challenges that's kind of how to procure into these sectors as well so that's another event we've got in September and you asked about how to kind of keep up to date. So the website, so um, Scotland is website. I've got the Scotland is data Twitter account um, is another place. You can sign up for newsletters and then I do kind of monthly comms as well. So there's the Scotland is comms and then I, I do a, a blog as well. So nice. all those things um, you can sign up for on the website or get in touch with me. Um, and yeah, the Scotland is website or is website, damn it, is uh, <laughs> scotlanders.com, right? Yes. Nice. All right, fantastic. Well, thank you very much for joining. And it'll be great to see all the work, I suppose, this time next year, given that it'll be another couple of years in the job and all the events. Um, actually, that's a question. Scotland, uh, or yeah, strategy for Scotland, what is there a... It's been pushed back, right? Because obviously COVID. So it'll be yes. early next year? Yes, yes. It, it was due to be published... Um, probably not too far from now, but um, it, it has been pushed back. A lot of the kind of public engagement work had to be completely postponed and that really kind of um, has pushed it out. So, yes, makes I think it's, it's moved into next year now. It's kind of too important to, to rush anyway, so it makes sense to delay it. All right, fantastic. Well, yeah, thanks again for joining. I really do appreciate the time and we'll, we'll keep up on everything uh, Scotland as data and AI strategy for Scotland um, for sure. Thanks very much. That was another uh, really interesting show. Um, somebody coming from a completely different background, working now in a, a kind of very niche role um, with Scotland is or Scotland S. Sorry, can't keep, can't stop. So, but yeah, it'll be great to see what the AI strategy looks like. It'll be great to keep an eye on the new clusters or in cybersecurity and data um, with Scotland is. And uh, yeah, I mean, thanks to Katie for coming on. Thanks to you for listening, and thank you to Cathcart for paying for it all. Uh, cheers, guys. Speak to you soon.